The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit testing your unit and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 312 with guest Andy Leonard, recorded live Tuesday, January 15th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who once took a train, and he still has it, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back. It's our Thursday show. I'm Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. Richard, Vancouver. Yes, sir. Vancouver bound. And Joe, at home for a few weeks now. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, your home's not in disarray. Uh, it's somewhat in disarray. You know, we're mid-move uh, or we're mid-renovation, so there's some stuff at one house, some stuff at another house, but I can live with it. Good, good. Let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. Better Know Framework this week, not a class, not an interface, not a module. Oh. Nope. It's a feature. Oh, which one? It's another feature of .NET 3.5. Anonymous types. Ah, uh, Yes. And uh, if you want to know more about anonymous types, check out Kathleen Dollard's two um, DNR TVs that she did recently. But anyway, an anonymous type is a type that has no name. Therefore, it's anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's very profound. The first question you may ask is, why? <laughs> what good is that? You know, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's like having a meal that's just a fork, you know? Yeah. Just an empty plate. I well, want to name my types. Why would I want unnamed yeah, types? Yeah, why? Well, it turns out that when you do a link query, you're going to return an object. And that object is this custom amorphous kind of thing that just gets created on the fly based on the return values that come back. Now, it would really be a pain if you had to go and define those types for every query that you needed, especially if you're pulling back a lot of data. One of the beauties of Link is that you can just pull this generic object back that has this anonymous type, and based on what you asked for, that's what you get. So you can just go ahead and 
access the the uh, properties of the object and get the data that came back. Now, um, Kathleen has some uh, some great stuff to talk about with anonymous types and some gotchas too, obviously, because now you have this thing that has no name. How do you compare two objects to see if they're equal, if they're the same type? Well, there. That's all I'm going to say about that. Go check out DNR TV. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're coming up on show 100 on DNR TV as well. We are, yes. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, and I think for show 100 we will uh, we'll get rid of the zip, or we'll we'll add a um, we'll add a WMV uh, feed for those ah, people right. who have iTunes with their Zooms and their iPod touches, and these people really really want to watch DNR TV on their handheld devices. So, who am I? Who yep. am I to stand in their way? We give up. <laughs> we'll help you. We'll help you. We'll, we'll do what you want. That's right. We're all about customer demand. There you go. I got an email for just you. Just don't watch while driving, people. Yes, just don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I got an email for you. Okay. Hi, guys. I just wanted to thank you guys for all the great work you've been doing. Each episode inspires me to learn more about the great products you talk about. I feel I'm more up-to-date with technology now than I was before I started listening to your show. Awesome. Love it. Even though Show 309 with Les Pinter was not a discussion about some hot new technology, it was, in my opinion, the best show ever. Really? Yeah. Wow. Listening to Les's stories were truly inspirational. I felt like I was watching Forrest Gump again, minus the <laughs> shrimp. I don't know what that means. Well, because he's done everything. That's I guess it's true, yeah. What a great guy. Thanks, Les. And once again, Carl and Richard, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to make these great shows. Regards, Justin Largy from Toronto, Canada. Awesome, Justin. Uh, Thanks uh, very much for that. And, you know, I always worry when we get shows like that that are sort of not about a specific technology, whether we're doing something that people want or not. I really enjoy talking to Les. I thought he was a fascinating guy. I mean, you're going to talk to the guy who sold word to Bill Gates. How can you resist that? It's a great story. Yeah, absolutely. But if you guys like them, I'll keep finding uh, folks like that to uh, to interview once in a while. You know, we have a history of doing that um, um, in .NET Rocks land. We we interviewed people who we well we interviewed Bob Wrestleman about a book, a yeah. novel he wrote about coding, which was cool. You know, so we've had our share of um, you know less sort than of character shows, character really. shows. Yeah, these that's guys right. are characters. Ethan Weiner was on. He was yeah. uh, he's not a .NET guy, but he's got a lot of history in the in the business and. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll find some more of those people. Definitely. Yeah. And with that, Richard, let's introduce Andy. Andy Leonard is a solid quality mentor, a SQL Server MVP, SQL Server database and integration services developer and engineer. He's a co-author of Professional SQL Server 2005 Integration Services, Professional Software Testing with Visual Studio 2005 Team System, Tools for Software Developers and Test Engineers, and MCITP Self-Paced Training Kit, Exam 70-441, Designing Database Solutions by Using Microsoft SQL Server 2005. Andy founded and still manages VSTeamSystemCentral.com in August 2005 and maintains two blogs there, Applied Team System and Applied Business Intelligence. He also blogs for SQLblog.com. Andy's experience includes web application architecture and development, VBNet, ASP, and ASPNet, 
SQL Server Integration Services, Data Warehouse Development using SQL Server 2000 and 2005, and Test Driven Database Development. Welcome, Andy. Thanks. So the story of this show really comes, actually goes to uh, Chris Love. Apparently, you went and spoke to the Raleigh user group. I did. Uh, Chris is a friend. Uh, we've been friends for a while. He's um, heavily involved in the uh, developer community there in North Carolina. And I live just up the road from him in Virginia, a couple of hours. And we work together, solid quality mentors, and, and we've done a lot in the community of code camps and such. And I spoke at the Triangle.net users group meeting on, on testing the database. And I get, um, I always get a big crowd when I go to, go to Raleigh. I think they're just a, a very active and engaged user group down there. And a lot of credit to the, to the leaders of that community. And we, uh, we went to Raleigh and met Chris and, uh, Rolf and a bunch of other guys, uh, on the, uh, Studio 2005 road trip. Back Way back in, in the uh, day. October, November 2005. Crazy time for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're great guys. And, um, Chris, uh, Chris listens to your show. He, I know he's been on it. And he, he said, you know, Andy, somebody talked about testing the database just a few weeks ago. And, uh, they had questions about how, how you would unit test a, a database. And I just finished a presentation on it. There at Raleigh, and Chris was proactive and emailed you, Richard, and and Carl, and yep. and uh, set this whole thing up. So uh, thanks, thanks, Chris. Oh, and we're thanks, uh, and we're glad to to have you on. It's a it's a great topic. People have been asking about more testing stuff, like unit testing, and so forth. I think the database is an interesting twist on it, and I really get the sense that this really came about. This is all made possible by Data Dude, the the, the database edition of Studio. I w- I would agree that uh, the database edition has. That's certainly given us a nice framework for it, but um, I was doing database testing uh, as far back as, as five years ago. I was going to say, can't you write unit tests in code the way that you normally would write them against code, except that you're writing data code? You certainly can. You you can do it, and and um, and there's some good work out there. Uh, I'll I'll give uh, props to Adam uh, Mechanic, who's who's written a book uh, about expert SQL Server 2005 development for APRESS and he has a, a, a wonderful chapter in there about why and how to test the database, and he's doing it from the from the application side. He, he makes uh, careful notes about not you know not writing the test in such a way that when they break, it's an application error. Yes, um, and that's that's sort of that's sort of my point. And I'm not trying to take anything away from what what Adam's saying. I, you know, any testing is better than none at all. You know, it's sort of like the old old thing about beer with pizza. Um, bad beer with pizza is still beer still with beer pizza. Still beer and pizza, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, any, anyway, uh, Adam, Adam has his approach on it, and, I, you know, I admire it. And I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Adam's anyway. But hmm. um, I, the issue that I see with that is that sometimes people, uh, you know, uh, very it, it's very easy to write a test in the application layer. And, and have it fail because of something in the application. And as you mentioned, Richard, Data Dude um, alleviates a lot of that. But uh, and, and to, to go to your point, Carl, you could write T-SQL in Query Analyzer, you know, and, right. and, run, and run your own test. And when you start doing uh, complex processing and, and or um, ETL for data warehouses or any other process. Uh, acronym, please, ETL. Oh, sorry. Extract, transform, and load. Right. Um, it is what SQL Server Integration Services is built to do. 
Um, and, and SQL Server Integration Services does a lot more than that, but it does that very well. It's the idea of copying data from some system of record or a source system, uh, transforming it into uh, some other shape or a different style of schema, uh, for instance, from a third normal form into a star schema, and then yep. loading it into a database in that new format. So, and and really, the database edition just makes so, this so much easier. Of course, you can do it by hand. Uh, but maybe we should just talk, irrespective of tools, what does a unit test for a database look like? Well, uh, typically, you're, when you're doing unit tests uh, against the database, you're testing a stored procedure. Uh, that's the most common use for it. And what you're after is is validating the contract. That, you know, being a, a former developer, I won't call myself a developer because I have too much respect for developers. <laughs> I'm out of the game. <laughs> I've been, I've not done it in years. I'm out of that game. However, it's it's validating the contract. It's it's um is the EP, is the API uh, doing what we want it to do, what we expect it to do. And in in this case, in a store procedure, um, we may be passing in an ID and expecting a name to to come out. Well, in in the unit test portion of that, all we would do is validate that when we send in an integer that we get back uh, a var car or a string. Okay. And, and that would be the extent of the unit test. We don't we don't care in the unit test if it's the right string. Right. We just care that we care about things like maybe is the column name right? It does it you know does it come back as name a column named name and does it have a value? And is that value a string? Well, that leaves a whole bunch open for for issues and errors that aren't covered by the unit test. That that's true, and we we cover those in functional tests. Right. Okay. So that's when we start validating that it did bring back the right name for the integer we passed in. Yeah. And and we we do you know you can you can do a lot of other things inside of the functional test as well. I use um. I, I, a variation of a functional test for what what I call exception testing. Okay. I want to see if I'm calling a stored procedure that does an insert into a table that um, maybe that table uh, maybe that table is related to another table by a foreign key. I want to see that if I try to insert a row uh, for this for this parent table that doesn't have a child record or vice versa, that the foreign key constraint fires and returns an exception. Right. And that's gotten a lot easier. When you, when you talk about DataDude, DataDude really made that a lot easier. And I see that the two big advantages for, de, for DataDude, I'll, I'll name three big advantages. One is, is it, it, it really gave us this, this nice wrapper that, that we can work in. It's inside of the Visual Studio IDE. I, I like the Visual Studio IDE a lot. Um, there was some some concern, I will say, on, on behalf of some of my fellow database professionals about losing the ability to do data, some database development inside of Enterprise Manager when we moved to 2005. I, w- I wasn't in that camp. I was excited about it. I, I like what we get from the Visual Studio IDE. Well, and it's in everybody's best interest that we have one IDE that's common to all of us, that gets all the same features. Like, that's all good. Amen. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, every, every time we get, we get such a rich environment. And when I'm conducting training on, uh, on SSIS or, or database edition, I, I make sure that I, you know, I, I point out all of these advantages that we get. Uh, another good thing about database edition that, that comes along with that is we get to hook into 
the, uh, the, the same testing framework that's built into the .NET framework and, and shows up specifically in Visual Studio for testers. So we are, we're, we're connecting to that same framework. So there's, there's some differences, but there's a lot of similarities. We're using a lot of the same code. When you're writing your unit tests and I'm writing mine, we're using a lot of the same code. And I would say the third thing is taking that to the next step into the application lifecycle management. We're both able now to, to load this into a, a tool like Team Foundation Server and have these tests fired automatically. And for the first time, I think, in the database development sphere, we're, we are now able to approach continuous database integration. Wow. Which is a fascinating concept. And I guess, the, the, you know, we had uh, 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 Skinner and Drapers on when DataDude was first being announced. And, and, of course, we keep calling it DataDude, which is its code name, because Visual Studio Team System Database Edition is just a dreadful name. And is that the full name? I think it's even longer than well, that. Well, I, I left out the version number, right? It could be Visual <laughs> Studio Team System 2008 Database Edition right. or 2005 yeah. Database Edition. But and let's that's call shorter. it DataDude. Yeah. That's shorter than the, the original uh, Visual Studio 2005 Team Edition for Database Professionals. That's what I thought which I it think, was. I think they shortened that because it ran off the box. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to save on ink. Oh, yeah. my Lord. What is up with these names? It's ridiculous. That well, is probably the most ridiculous one. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's that's true. where the naming scheme broke down, where it's finally too long. But it, you know, said, getting, right. backing into the point here, now... Databases are a full-fledged member of the database of the development team. They're part of the team suite, so they get all the reporting, they get all the automation. That just sort of falls out for free uh, once you make that commitment to team system. Exactly, and, and it's a it's a great thing. It, it's it's a bit of a hard sell because um, I don't know if you've been around many DBAs before, but um, to most production DBAs, um, change is bad. Oh, yeah, hey, no. You, you I, I've been way. a DBA. The line is, okay. change is good, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I, I've, done, I've done production DBA work, Richard, and I wasn't, you know, I was okay at it, but I wasn't very good at it. I'll just, you know, just be honest. Well, you I'm have to, you mean, in the end, the problem with this job is, if you do it perfectly, and this is true of IT in general, if you right. do your job well, nobody can tell. You are completely <laughs> invisible. So can you I are get, correct. Can I get back to your uh, the last amazing thing you said, which was we're approaching continuous database integration. Do you mean to say that the days of having testing and staging databases is really over? Oh no! Oh no! Don't don't um, don't take it that far yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what I what I will say is that um, what what this has allowed us to do, and 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 really database addition. It has a, does a fine job on the schema side of things. Uh-huh. But that's really at best only half of, of a database application. The other half is, is the data itself. And there's, there's still, uh, you know, enough room in there, enough wiggle room and enough need, uh, for, for the actual data testing, which you can do in database addition, um, for, for the, you to maintain a test database and a staging database. And I would, ne- I will never, advocate moving away from uh, development, um, integration, uh, you know, testing or QA, and then a production layer. I like a four-tier structure. It just catches all of my mistakes. Usually, well, I'll say all, nine, five nines. It gets five nines of my errors, and that makes me feel better. Well, and the essential difference between data and applications is that 
Data has to be carried forward from one version to the next. Has to be. You know, we can't just replace it like we can with code. That, that is, that's a great point, Richard. And, and part of the, uh, that's part of the issue with database development. And there's no, you know, there's no free lunch right now on doing that. Database Edition does a wonderful job of managing the schema. And you can do things like roll the schema back. Right. But there is always, always some coupling there between whatever application is accessing that data and the data, the, the data schema and certainly the data itself. Um, and decoupling that, I don't, I don't know what we do about that. Yeah, I, I don't mean, think that it's actually possible. And it's the thing is rollbacks on the database have always been a disaster. And I don't think the database edition doesn't change that. No, I, I think but, it, it's still a disaster. Just because you've yeah. automated it doesn't mean doesn't mean people haven't still lost data. Doesn't mean you're not you know face planted. But that's you're what makes DBAs correct. cranky. A rollback of a database is a total disaster. Yeah. And I, we don't have a tool yet, you know, other than you and I typing a lot and uh, doing restores from backups. And, you know, um, running queries that, that select all the data that's not in the existing database from the restored backup and right. pushing it into the old. That's, that's the way we do it. I mean, it's, and there's, you know, I don't know of a better way to do it. I don't, again, I don't claim to know everything about this, but that's, you know, that's still an issue and we haven't gotten away from that. But what we, what we do have is a way to, we've added more on the preventative side with, with database addition, with the idea of even, of, of even having unit tests, um, we, we've gotten a little more proactive, and maybe we catch the error uh, in a unit test before we deploy and have our customers catch it. Right. And I, I've got a slide in my uh, presentation on testing the database that says, when do you want to find the issue? Yeah. You know, and it goes through unit tests or at integration or at QA or in an email from your soon-to-be former largest customer. <laughs> you know, where do you want to find the issue? <laughs> yeah. Well, in McConnell's books, you know, Code Complete and so forth, said way back when, it's 200 times more expensive to catch it later, to catch it at the at the customer level than it was to catch it at the development level. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and you know, we, that applies... I would say that probably applies even more to databases than it does in the application. I, I it, totally agree. That, that data is the lifeblood of so many businesses now. And, you know, there's, there's lots of good, good information out there about just how important the databases are. And, and, um, you know, and it, it's gotten, database development itself has gotten so little attention. And I don't think it's, yeah, you know, I don't think, I don't hear the database community complaining about it. Cause, you know, by and large, we're, we're pretty, uh, happy being in the background. And, and just as you said, Richard, um, when we do, we do our jobs perfectly, no one messes with us. Right. <laughs> Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. 
It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zune. Andy, um, when you were talking about writing unit tests, I take it that you mean you're writing code. Is it possible to write unit tests with other store procedures? For that matter, is it possible to write a store procedure that itemizes all of the other store procedures and then calls them automatically? There, there certainly is, Carl, and that's the way I was doing it up until um, June 1st or so of 2007. Okay. 2006 or seven. whenever they announced, uh, Microsoft announced that they were going to release DataDude, and they put CTP1 out within uh, like five days or something. It was nuts. They, uh, kudos to the development team there. They did a great job. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's how you did it is if you, you created your own testing framework. Uh, I built my own databases that would hold the information in there because I want to, uh, to compare the test run today to the test run next week. Right. Um, and I was, in my mind, coming from a developer, you know, I was a, an intranet web guy who did a little bit of form stuff, um, in, in Visual Basic up through version six and just dabbled in .NET. But I, I came from there and I was doing, um, test first development in VB6. And, you know, when I jumped the fence, and it's a funny story how I got over that fence, but I, what the short version is, at one point in my life, I held the SA password. And that made me the most qualified person on the team. <laughs> so, I was the DBA at that point, or the database developer. But, mm. and that, that first, uh, serious database development effort was a 1.6 terabyte data warehouse in SQL Server 2000. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's become a DBA now. And Richard, You've dealt with this, maybe maybe even you've dealt with it from Carl. Most developers think they're DBAs. Oh yeah, no, my, and and the number of companies that I went into as a consultant where the guy who was the DBA was the guy cl- standing closest to the server when the last guy quit. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the sum total of their qualification. Yeah, I, 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 that was me. I was there too, and I was one of those guys. Uh, and Carl, I'm not picking on developers. I, no, I no, I, I was listen, I make no bones about my uh, about my deficiencies. I hire people to fill in the holes where I, you know, that I have. Well, that, so you, you were way ahead of me. I thought I knew everything about it, and this, these guys were just there to stop me from doing cool code things. <laughs> and, uh, boy, let me tell you, I, I, I cut my teeth very quickly on on that. Uh, you know, dealing with 250 gigabyte tables, uh, you very quickly realize where your shortcomings are. And um, it was a, a real experience, but learned quite a bit doing that. But Coming from that, uh, Carl, I was doing that sort of thing already. Uh, you know, I was used to doing it in code. And, you know, even b- before we had uh, .NET, you know, uh, Visual Studio for uh, testers, I was still writing unit tests in, in my code, and you, you sort of had to to make sure that you didn't miss something. Hmm. And so I started doing this in T-SQL, in, in Query Analyzer, and I built a little database to hold my results. And, you know, I just I just kept all the data from when I was developing on and what I found um, at the end of this, especially this first process, was I had a very rich set of baseline data <laughs> when I was done. So there was no way I was going to toss that out. Right. Um, I, I could tell immediately if I made a change in anything that I tested before, and I tested just about everything, I could tell uh, whether it was an improvement or, or whether I caused a, a degradation in performance. And, you know, that sounds dumb, but that's very valuable information. Yes, and sometimes it is. you just can't hold it all in your head. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you may think that you sped the thing up, but you haven't. And what's, what'll, what will really come and get you, and I know both of you guys have, have done enough development, uh, you, you know this, what will really come and get you is that you'll make a change and think it won't impact anything else. Yeah. And then there'll be this one thing over here that gets used about a million times a day that, yeah, you've, you've caused that little two-second routine to now jump to five seconds. And everybody sees it. They don't know where it's coming from, but they see it and they feel it. And they start sending the emails. Yeah. And, and, and so, you start in, it's, it's the standard grieving process. You start with denial. Oh, it couldn't <laughs> have been me. Uh, <laughs> and it's bargaining. Oh, some, you know, something else changed as well. <laughs> you know, then it's sort of, you work your way through to, oh yeah, now it's me. <laughs> you've been looking at my code and you've been around when I've been uh, reading my emails, have you, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's not that we're smart. It's that we've had our asses handed to us first. <laughs> this is only well, my ability to fail faster than you. <laughs> that's true. I live in Farmville, Virginia, and that reminds me of a, a little story about, um, you know, about being early adopters and, and, and you know, people who, who write books and, and do the blogs and stuff. And people ask me uh, occasionally, they'll say, you know, what do you got to do to... You know, get out in front of everybody, and they think because you're in front of them, you know everything. And yeah, that's, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah. And there's this little story about uh, two old boys that were hunting out here in Farmville, and uh, Bubba and Joe. And they were out deer hunting, but they ran up on a bear. And the bear stood up, and it was obviously going to attack. And Joe took off. He took off running, and, and Bubba sat down and took off his backpack. And Joe turns around and says, Bubba, you got to come. We're going to get eaten by this bear. you got to run. And, and Bubba pulls out some uh, tennis shoes, and he says, I, I don't have to outrun the bear, Joe. I just have to outrun you. <laughs> yeah. The whole idea of uh, early adopters is simply staying ahead of, 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 you know, of some of the people. You can't stay ahead of everyone. No. So we're continuously learning, too, as we go. But, um, yeah, bringing it back, bringing it back to, the, uh, to writing in, in other languages. And, and there are, um, Carl, there are other tools out there as well. Um, there's uh, DB Unit. That's an open source tool. I uh, huh. haven't used it much, but it's out there, and it does uh, huh. it does unit testing for databases. And I saw a note. I don't know how how long the product's been out or the project's been released on something called T-SQL Unit, and I, I haven't even had a chance to download it. Yeah, DB Unit is on the SourceForge. Uh, yep, yes, it is, and probably T-SQL Unit's out there somewhere too. Yeah, SQL Unit's also on SourceForge too. So, so, although again, it, these all them. sort of derive from the J unit harness, so they've got a sort of Java bent to them. Okay, so I haven't had a chance to play with them, but I, I know they're out there. And you know, any of the the N unit or X unit, uh, that there's there's tons of documentation out there on those products and those frameworks. Yeah, and from what I understand, they're great. Um, again, I haven't had a chance to to do much with those, but when you, what's good about data do? And you know, kind of bringing this forward into data, dude, is the same test that I wrote in T-SQL back in 2003 and four. I can I can execute those. I'm, I'm writing in T-SQL when I'm writing a unit test in data, dude. And what what happens when you create a, a stored a stored procedure unit test inside of data, dude? Is it generates um, a project in the language you choose? It can be Visual Basic, Visual C Sharp, or C plus plus. And that project creates this this environment that I can write T SQL in. 
and then execute that T-SQL, and then when the results come back in, it does it goes back out, runs a comparison against those the the configured sorry configured test conditions that that I've picked, and then it brings the results back of that comparison. And it's that's really a really nice environment. It's it's more complex, I think, than when you're testing an application, but it's it's a nice environment for doing that. And I think the data dude just brings an awful lot of automation to uh, to the whole thing. That that so much of that stuff just happens automatically. Yeah, it does. And it's behind you know the stuff that um and, and it's all happening behind the scenes. So you don't have to be a person who has enough skills in Visual C Sharp or, or Visual Basic. Well, and, and therein lies an interesting point, which is this whole thing of. Do you write your T SQL tests in T SQL or do you write them in, in studio in, in VB.net or C sharp and, and actually are executing code against them? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's, uh, it's, it's either or because the, the functionality is identical. Um, you can, you can view the results of a query inside of, of data dude. You can highlight the code and execute it and see what's, uh, see what you get back there inside of data dude itself. Um, and then you can paste that into the test window. Where the, where the code is executed. I typically do it in whichever window I've got open. It, it really, the, the functionality is nearly identical for what I'm doing. Where, is there any database that is not suitable for unit testing? Is there any such thing? And, and, and you're not meaning like something other than SQL Server? No, no, no. I mean, in terms of the shape of the database, the size of the database, the the makeup of it, you know, is there any part of some like triggers or, um, or views or anything? Is there anything in the database that isn't unit testable? Um, well, I, I'm, I'm just going through them. I head. that's a good question, Carl. Um, I test the things that I typically test are the store procedures, functions, triggers, the, um, uh, constraints, um, yeah, you know, I, I make sure that my, you know, there's no, I, I guess there's no real way to make sure a clustered index is clustered, um, without peeling open the, the .dat file or the MDF. Um, uh, yeah, well, I guess in, in 2005, you can actually make a, a you can actually do a, a, a DMV that would tell you you're running in a cluster. Okay. But that's pretty specific. Okay. I hadn't, I hadn't tried that. Um, I'm trying to think what else. And then there's, um, you know, I, I tend to uh, to start with test-first development simply because I'm just more comfortable with it. I won't say that it's better or worse than anything else, but it keeps me sane and, and honest. And I've just done it for so many years, it's, it's almost second nature. And if I'm building a, a database from scratch in DataDude, the first thing I'm going to do is create a, a test that's, going to go and, and execute against master.sys.databases and look for a database with that name. And, of course, I'm going to execute that test, and it's going to fail. Hmm. And then I'll go into, I'll, I'll create a script that, in this case, will run as a pre-deployment script and wrapped inside of an if exists or if not exists in this case. With that same test query, I'll, I'll have a, um, a create database by that name and then whatever specifics I've set up for that. So, you know, I test for the existence of the database first. And and just these unit tests that I do as I'm developing a database from scratch, they become my uh, my regression suite. So when I'm done. 
What about indexes and relationships? Are those testable too? Um, the indexes themselves, that's a good point. I usually pick up, I don't directly test indexes. It's not something you usually change, right? Yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's, but you do, I do do testing for the results of the index. And let me explain how, how that works. There's two things that I do for testing indices. One is I check for their existence and that they're, you know, that you can pick them apart, um, in 2005. The, the, the managed views are awesome. And I check for that. And then the second part is I, I do performance testing. And it's not a direct test. And it's not as good as, you know, is it doing what I expect it to do? And in every kind of testing that you do, any kind of application testing even, there's some stuff that you just have to test manually. And that's why they have manual tests built into um, any time you create a test project. Um, and, and those tests can include things uh, instructions for the deploying DBA, like verify that when you deploy this, if you do a show plan text, that you're going to see the clustered index scan here or an index scan versus an index seek. So those sorts of tests apply to indexes, but testing them directly, I, I don't know a better way to do that than, than what I just described. Yeah, testing for their there existence is, a, is pretty much good. Yeah. Well, I mean, existence is one thing. You're actually talking about reading the query plan, right? And saying, okay, that index is being used. I am. And I do that in my performance testing. But in performance, and then when I think about performance testing, I think about time to execute. That's part of it, too. How long is this taking? That kind of thing. It is. And, and there's, a, there's an execution time uh, test condition that's built right into the, uh, the, the set of test conditions that you get with data do. Right. Definitely, yes, you use that. But what you'll find over time, Richard, and you, I mean, we all know this, as things scale, data grows, you, um, you, you run, that time increases. And I've used that execution time more as, a, as kind of a yellow light, red light test for me. Because I run these tests, uh, after the application is deployed. A nice time to run, you know, some of them is during the evening. And just make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be. Good things are happening. And nothing bad is happening. Um, when uh, a lot of times, when you're doing things like ETL or moving data around or just balancing the load between data databases or partitions, that that occurs in jobs or some sort of batch processing at night, and that takes time. Usually, you have a time window to do it. Typically, it's you know 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. or something like that. Right. Well, when you start off with a database that hasn't scaled yet, that you may be doing that in 45 minutes, and it's no big deal. But you want to track how long that takes so that once you get to the point where it's taking you three and a half hours, you, you want some alert somewhere or some record of that data saying, hey, this is, this is now scaling and you need to either, uh, adjust your partitions, add some, do something different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and I've definitely, you know, the other place where I found flagging like that really useful was DBCC runs. If my consistency tests are starting to run two, three, four hours, or really what it is is getting close to the edge of the window they can run in, I need to know before they hit that window. Yeah, because you'll definitely know after. Oh, yeah, you'll definitely know it. And I was thinking exactly that while you are describing this. It's like, you know, this is stuff you're all going to find out. It's just you're going to find <laughs> out from the user. Right. And, when they, and so, and often, all that notice gave me was enough time to come up with an excuse before the first call came in. 
Yep. You know, it's like and I've it, now that sitting in my inbox was a warning. DBCC ran past 5 a.m. And then the next email is a guy going, how come the database is still down? That, that, there you go. Happened to me. Um, that's all, that's all you really got. But at least you right away knew the, the system was warning you. Here's the problem you're having today. And that's good development, Richard. I That's think so. I mean, work. just giving yourself the ammunition to know, you know, what's going on, that, that these machines report back to you. I mean, you'd eventually find it out. But instead, you, you guys say, why is the database still down? And now you've got to start that testing process to right. find out, oh, you know, this is what's happened. Uh, this is still running and so on. Yeah, everybody's running the drive, you know, the, the drive space and, and having those report back to you if they hit a certain threshold and and that's, you know, that's how we're able to manage uh, modern environments in an enterprise where we have, um, you know, 10 or 20 or 100, you know, database instances out there. There's just no way you're going to be able to log. You could spend eight hours a day just logging on and poking around very in a very cursory manner. But, you know, there's a huge requirement now for database management um, above and beyond that. And really, the, the way that I approach it sounds like the way you approach it, Richard. It's exception management. I I automate as much as I can and have it watch it. Inevitably, something gets through my net, and when it does, I add that to the automation suite so that it runs every night now and checks for this new problem. But over time, what happens is those, those problems that do pop up and that, that get through the net truly are are fewer and farther between. Right. It's all a question of when are you going to catch it, and you're trying to catch it before the user catches it. Right. That's right. But we always get back to the same mode of our goal here is to get no calls. Exactly. If my inbox is empty and my phone's not ringing, I'm doing my job perfectly. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> people, the people don't know I'm here. Yeah, I'm a little great. lonely. Invisibility <laughs> is good. Yeah. And if you you know if you get really good at your job after a week of that, just turn a server off. Somebody will call every time. <laughs> You're mean. How do you win friends and influence people? That's all that is. I'm just reminding you guys, I'm down here, and I hold your happiness in my hands. Yes. That's a a useful tip for you young DBAs listening to this. Richard, you never did that, did you? You What, me? Yeah. Oh, no. Let me tell you, I definitely did that. You did? There has been more than one occasion where I've been in a meeting where it's nice you know, as much as this been a tough week for everybody, isn't it nice to be reminded that we're valuable to the company? Oh, yeah. Because most of the time we're looked purely at as a cost center, purely as a problem or an obstacle getting work done. When stuff breaks down is when you see this team launch into action and presumably we're good at our jobs and we clean up the mess and we make things work again. And everybody that those few days while we were down were days where everyone was suddenly reminded how important all of this is. That's, you know, that's a great point. That's a so, great point. Now, and it is a little cynical of me to say, okay, I'm so good at my job that I can go through a year with that never happening, so I have to create a few just to get the love back. <laughs> but, you know, there are days like that. There's days where I definitely feel like that. I understand. I, I've, <laughs> I've never been there. I've never thrown the switch. I've been uh, I'm fortunate enough where somebody's thrown it for me. You'd be good at a DBA hotline, Richard. You know? <laughs> You're having a bad day. Don't pull the plug. Call Give me. me a call. I'm Richard Campbell. <laughs> I'll talk you in off the ledge. Don't oh, it'll be do okay. It. Yeah. I think that's a valuable service. You could get sponsored by Fortune 500 America. Yeah, just to keep the administrators calm. That's right. Talk them down. Yeah. I've been there. <laughs> I know what you're feeling. <laughs> 
So uh, have you had some time with 2008? Just just a little bit. Just just cursory and mostly I've um I've been poking around at and, and looking at the differences in SSIS cuz that's that's what I've been working with most recently. And um but I have been writing uh I take it back. I have been writing some on database edition 2008 um and that that, that list of books and writing that, that Carl read at the beginning just seemed obnoxiously long so I left out an ebook that I've been working on for a couple months for solid quality publishing. Oh, good. Uh, we're, we're starting up solid quality publishing, and um, there's a book, um, a series of, of ebooks that's coming out called Mastering Database Edition. Uh, that's the shortened title. It has the actual full product title in there. But and what I do is walk uh, walk through creating a project. And uh, Richard, you'll, you'll be proud of me. The project that I'm creating is actually. Uh, a database that will hold metrics collected from uh, runtimes of, of jobs and SSIS packages and that sort in the uh, in the enterprise. So it serves a bit of a dual purpose there. If you you walk through that, you you end up with a um, I hope an understanding of how uh, at least one approach to of how to develop a database project in database edition, and you get a, a useful database out of it as well. Cool. So um, that's. I'm still working on it. I won't predict uh, when it'll be done. It's depending on my free time. And uh, I have five children. I don't know if I mentioned that. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but they, they range in age from 25 to five months, uh, 25 years to five months. Good Lord. Uh, you ever heard that quote by Groucho Marx? What, what was that? When uh, somebody, uh, a couple came on You Bet Your Life, or this woman came on You Bet Your Life, and she said, uh, I have nine children. And he says, nine children. She says, well, I, I love children. He goes, lady, I love my cigar, but I take it out once in a while. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, I'm done. Oh, I'm officially done with, uh, with having, with making more children. Yeah. So after the, uh, the five month old was, uh, was born, I, I'm done. So, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're great. I love, I love my kids, but I have, uh, children are wonderful. I'm up, well, and I'm up anyway with him half the night. His yeah. name is Riley Cooper. Wow. And I'm up with Riley half the night anyway, and I can type with one hand and mouse with you. If you have children, you can do this. You can hold the baby <laughs> oh, yes. with one hand. <laughs> I think and Richard and I have perfected that technique. Both <laughs> yeah. Of us. Yeah. Definitely. Do, you're, yeah. You're, definitely been there. I think two is enough. I've stopped. Same here. <laughs> Well, I did that I did, too, I've always Richard. been a big believer, and you shouldn't be outnumbered by your children because you'll lose. <laughs> well, I did. I, I had two and stopped, and then I was done, and then life uh, kind of changed on me. Yeah, yeah. And then I have, now I have three more. So, yeah. Oh, you're not done yet. Yeah, yeah not uh, quite that's done. Right. Uh, There's a line in a Van Zant song that says, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell him you're playing. <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> I love those guys. Yeah. But um yeah, two thousand eight. Uh there's some neat stuff in there. They um Gert and the guys released a um released a service pack or I, I don't know exactly what they called it. I think it was a service release that they called it. But they released this for two thousand five and it sort of brought two thousand five uh team edition for database pros up to uh what they were going to uh <laughs> release feature wise in uh two thousand eight database edition. Wow. And um, that was pretty neat. It, it included some neat stuff. But it, I've, I've been writing against uh, 2008. I've been doing my work with um, between Database Edition 2008 and Team Foundation Silver 2008. Right. And a lot of that stuff in there. I'm, I'm I'm putting a lot of stuff in about source control and application lifecycle management, 
And I really want to, um, I really want to approach the, the, the database development just like we do other development. I, I want to at least show steps, um, you know, so that, so that DBAs and people who are, you know, haven't had experience in the Visual Studio IDE, uh, I want to, you know, show it to them so that they can see it and not be, you know, not be frightened by it. Um, not be overwhelmed. It is overwhelming if you're coming out of an enterprise manager query analyzer environment to open Visual Studio for the first time. That's a big deal. Yeah, no kidding. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, even, even, uh, SSMS, which, um, by the way, you can develop database projects inside of SQL Server Management Studio. Yes. And connect to source control, um, using the, um, MSS CCI provider. Did I, maybe I said that backwards. But yeah, there's like there's M and two C's and two S's and an I. And, <laughs> it's Microsoft Source Code Control Interface. I think that's what it is. MSFCCI. Right. You can connect that to uh, to Team Foundation Server and source control your uh, your database projects that you build inside of SSMS. But you know, there's there's no need to be intimidated by this. It's um, yes, it's a change, but I think what it's really going to do in the long run for the for the professions. Uh, of, of database administration and database development, it's really going to going to be a nice thing for us. It's just getting over this initial hump, and that's why I'm writing uh, the the book that I am the ebook series on mastering Team Edition, uh, Team Edition for Database Pros, Database Edition, and um, that that's my whole goal is to kind of show you the big picture. And you'll love this if you if you like being lonely down in the you know down in the basement, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a database development role. All of a sudden, folks start showing up in your queue. Mm-hmm. As a project managers, they start asking you questions. Every now and then, a stakeholder will come by, and sometimes these are people with a C at the beginning of their job title. <laughs> yeah. Chief something. And, yeah, they'll want to know what's going on. Well, the, the, what's really cool about Team Foundation Server is that it puts what's going on out there in a, a, a Windows SharePoint services portal, and there's uh there's reporting services reports that are fed into that portal and they don't have to leave their desk to find out what's going on. Yeah, so yeah. it's a lot more visible. Oh yeah. And it's great. It keeps them out of your cube. And that's for me the number one selling point of the product. I would personally pay the twenty twenty thousand or however much it is, it's up there for the for the big edition of TFS. I would pay the max price for it just to keep those people out of my cube. <laughs> yeah. You want to see where it is? You want to see what I'm doing? Go look on the web page. It's all right there. It's right there. Let me get back to work. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output. Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. You bring up another angle on this being part of team system, which is source management, because source management has got to be complicated in, in databases because you've got to have those you got to manage all those versions. It's like patching an application is is kind of similar to the way databases are upgraded from one version to the next. It's got to be a patch. I alter data and copy data and those sorts of things so that I can persist the data from one version to the next. That, that's absolutely correct. And 
there are uh, there's facilities built right into database edition for doing that. You can do an incremental update, and you do that by running a, a schema compare. Which my understanding is they licensed that technology from Redgate. Uh, it looks it looks very similar. Hmm. There's some some sort of agreement there between the Microsoft folks and Redgate, and then you you do a build basically just like the output that you would get from uh, SQL compare from Redgate. And it, it goes out and, and does your, your database updates. Um, it runs, it'll execute your database updates script for you incrementally. And of course, source control that script as well. And under the hood of database edition, and I'm sure, uh, Gert covered, covered all this, they're running the, um, they're running SQL command. Right. That's what they're using for their engine. Right. And you can also take those commands, just, uh, the straight text of those commands and run them in SFMS. If you have to push a button, um, to put it into SQL command mode. It doesn't, by default, a query, unless you've configured your environment that way, uh, a new query window doesn't open in SQL command mode. But it's just a one-button click, and it starts executing. I think it's got a red exclamation point or something there on the icon of that button. But, yeah, you click that, and now you can execute SQL command statements as well. So um, it, it's really nice. I, I love the way that they did it. They were thinking about integrating it for people who just do database development and and for people who do um, the administration, and a lot of folks do both. A lot of folks in enterprises today find themselves in both roles at, at varying times. And that's another way to keep your visibility up, Rob, Richard, is to you know, jump on a dev, a dev team and uh, help those folks out. Well, and I think it's a very interesting point is that the, you know, the curmudgeonliness of a DBA uh, can really be shaken up when you get a chance to act as the database developer, which is really the service provider to the developer to get those store procedures written and to put those new structures in place and so forth, get that engagement in, uh, going. I agree. As opposed to day after day of telling people why you're not going to increase their privileges on their account. And it, it gives a little bit of visibility over that over to that side of the fence. Not everyone's had that experience of being the, the person that's trying to get something done, you know, on their side and, and not understanding why they're getting denied. Right. Um, you know, not everybody's had that, and it maybe it gives a little more sympathy. I'm a, I'm a huge believer in diverse teams. And when I say diverse, I mean, you know, people from different uh, different backgrounds in technology. I don't, yeah. I don't really care if you're from Mars or not. Right. Um, you know, just, but that just adds to the quality of the final product. Well, and, it, you know, the big, the fo- thing that I, when I have developers who are frustrated with the DBAs, the thing I say is remember that this is the guy who's on the hook because you were able to name every customer John Smith. (laughs) It's his fault and you did it. Now, why do you think he hates you? Yeah. (laughs) You know, that happened to me once. (laughs) Yeah, it's so easy to have happen. It is. And, you know, the developer's reaction to that is, yeah, okay, well, we can fix that. You know, I'll, I'll fix the code. Now it's fixed, right? Well, um, no. We still have to actually fix all the names. Hmm. We have 141,000 rows here. <laughs> <laughs> you are retyping them all. Here's the paper. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Uh, but and then they really, I think that's where the dynamic comes in, is that there's this mentality. The, the folks on the data side have this mentality of we must protect the data. And so, but if you, if you protect the data by allowing nobody to have access to it, you don't have a job. So yeah, it's, it's you got to be careful. Act. Yeah, it really is a balancing act, and and you're right. I'm, I, you know, and I, I'm, there's a, you know, a lot of folks that are, and you, this can get you into trouble in any field. Is it, a lot of folks approach this very academically. They have their set of rules, 
and and they're going to just apply those rules. They're going to make sure those rules are never violated. And I actually had um, I was an application uh, a DBA on that that same uh, first data warehouse that I talked to you about, and there was a, a guy who was doing the system DBA, making sure the backups happened, making sure no one did anything dumb, and and he was watching over my shoulder. And it turns out that he got a little um, zealous about that, and I would I would put indexes on some of these tables, and they would take you know anywhere from twenty minutes to, to two or three hours to apply because these tables were huge, and I'd do that in the afternoon and you know run a few tests and things would speed up, and I'd come in the next morning and those that you know I'd, I'd start getting complaints. I thought you fixed this. I, of course, I'd send my emails out. I fixed it. And the next morning, I'd get uh, emails mid-morning. I uh, thought you fixed this. It's performing just like it did yesterday. And I'd go check, and my indexes were missing. And this person was deleting them <laughs> because he didn't agree nice. with the indexes that I placed on there. And that was probably my my worst experience. And at the time, I was you know I was an application DBA was my title, but my job was to tune it you know, from the application side to make sure that the, the, you know, there was a reporting application laying on top. Make sure that it could perform well. That was just my my worst experience with uh with that. And I, at that time, I was on the on the DBA side of it. But uh, you make a good point point with that, Richard. And it, I mean, it goes both ways. I, I guess is my is why I was telling that little story. My next question is um um just to get back to testing for a second is what um what technologies do you use to to do the functional testing of a database? Do you use code there? I'm I'm still using the uh. The, the data dude, um, I still use that framework to do the functional stuff. Writing code or writing procedures? I'm writing, um, well, it, it's, a, I, I'm writing T-SQL and I'm, I'm, I'm passing in a set of values or a, uh, maybe a, you know, a value, the same value, um, into the, into the store procedure and then I'm validating the output and there's a scalar value test condition okay. that, um, Built right into Data Dude, and I can put anything in there. So you're executing the SQL directly. I am. Well, I'm doing it through through Data Dude. Right, but I'm, I, what does that mean? Though, I mean, does that mean is there a screen like that to, that you just enter in the like a like the query analyzer, or do you have to write a test harness with code for that? Um, the test harness for and all of that is automatically generated for me, and it gives me a screen that looks very much like Query Analyzer. Okay. I write T-SQL, and then at the bottom of that screen, in a, in a grid, I've got a list of conditions that I want to apply to the result set. And I would, in this case, pick a, a scalar value type and say, I passed in the value negative one. I see. I want to see the name John Smith come out. I see. That may be my test value. Um, what's nice, though, about those scalar values as well is I can I can use the try-catch syntax that's available in T-SQL 2005. And I can trap errors and then look in that same scalar value, use that to make sure that the proper exception was raised by something like a violation of a foreign key constraint. That's very cool. It is, because I, I can do a bunch of testing there with that. And if that's not enough, um, DataDude is completely extensible. You can write your own custom test conditions. And at the time I that I was writing the... Um, writing with the, the team on the Testing with Visual Studio Team System book, the Rocks book, I put together um, the only thing I could, the only one I found in existence was, was a walkthrough for someone who had never opened Visual Studio before of how to create your own custom test condition, how to do things like gener- use a strong name key to generate a, uh, a, a set of uh, files, 
for your uh, your, your signing. You know, your, uh, I can't think of the right terminology, but for signing your files digitally so that you can create an assembly that will deploy to the GAC. Strong name. Yeah, strong naming. Strong naming, yeah. And, and just walk you through setting up the project property so that it automatically deployed. It's got to deploy to two different places. One place is uh, inside of the program files space for data dudes so that it can load it. It has to load it into the environment there. And then when it executes, it's, it's executing the version over in the global assembly cache. So it, you can, of course, deploy to multiple locations, you know, using copy scripts after you do a post build. Mm-hmm. And I walk through all of those pieces, and then I walk through the uh, the code. And I use C sharp, which was a stretch for me. I, I can barely spell C. No <laughs> DB guy, but I had some some help from some friends, and they they helped me with my code, and laughed at me behind my back, snickered viciously. Right. But um, we got it done, and um, so there, there's a custom test condition in the last fifteen or so pages of that chapter four of testing with VSPS. It's built specifically for someone who's never cracked open Visual Studio before. This is how you write your own custom test condition wow. and, and load it in and use it. Beautiful. I, I, I was hoping so. I hope I get the. I've gotten some positive response from that already. Uh, some email and um, and I've seen some people writing about it. So it warms my heart. I, I've tried to do some good for folks. And again, my, my I guess my big driver is to get people over the intimidation factor. You know. I sure do. Yeah. That's that's been a a big part of what we do here, you know, taking away the anxiety. You guys are awesome. Well, I wouldn't say that, but you know, we certainly do have a, a calming effect on and, on and very handsome. <laughs> <laughs> and where should I send that check, Andy? Uh, <laughs> Farmville, Virginia. You know, if you put Andy Farmville, Virginia, it will probably reach me. <laughs> now that I think about it, a calming effect probably isn't what you want when you're driving. You know, you know yeah. <laughs> we don't want to get into a catatonic stupor or something. <laughs> but um, but hey, all good stuff and and, and great questions uh, about this. And and while I'm at it, there's uh there's another functionality built into DataDude for um that that's nice for uh, compliance. There's the ability to do data generators, and you can generate data that looks somewhat like production data. It's the same data type. Um, it's very you know. Varying variances of that, and um, you you can generate that and populate a, a test database or or a development database. Um, probably the coolest feature about data generators is that it uses a seed value, so you can consistently go out and generate the same data set every time, and then run tests against that. Oh, that's great! It is, it, and you know you can of course delete the data that's out there every time, and you, that's part of the data generation plan. You can have it automatically go ahead and just refresh rather than doing restores from backups, which there's nothing wrong with nope. doing restores from backup. No. Nope. But, you know, getting your hands on, getting something that puts data out there that looks and feels like social security numbers, personal health information, but yeah. doesn't contain anything like that, just gibberish. Hmm. Uh, and Richard, you've probably done this. I've written many, uh, m- many scramblers of data. Yeah. Uh, I've uh, one of my great labors because we we do so many demonstrations, right? You're doing all these sessions and so forth. Was to take a hundred thousand real names and addresses, and you still want the address to validate, right? 
huh. right? Because you want to be doing useful testing, but you want to protect people's privacy. So it was scrambling it in a way where I think we were only doing zip code validation. So I kept, you know, city, state, zip together, but shuffled everything else. Yeah. And and then we'd go back and test it against their original data to make sure it was actually different and then re-scramble the ones that weren't actually different until we finally got the set of a 100,000, you know, names and addresses that would validate but were fake. I feel your pain, bro. It's <laughs> just a lot of cycles for something that's that's fake. Right. It is. It, and and you know, the, the idea of data generation, the the need for it has been around for a while and I'm sure somebody else has something out there that does it, but again, this is nice and Integrated into the uh, the Visual Studio IDE, it's integrated into your project. You can, whenever you deploy the project, you can have it execute this data generation plan and do this automatically. And there's a slew of data generators out there built in. Um, I probably use the regular expression one as much as any. And if what you need isn't there, you can, again, extend it. You can write your own. I, I didn't cover that in the Testing the Database book, but there's some good blog posts out there. Um, at, at MSDN at blogs.msdn.com about that very topic. So uh, lots of lots of extensible stuff out there. And what I, I guess what I really what I'm really excited about with with Database Edition is that Microsoft has finally not finally but Microsoft has put the tools uh, in, you know, in our hands at least a, a good solid V1 and what looks like a good version two of the tools in our hands that we need to, to begin to catch up to what the application developers have had for about a day. Well, Andy, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that we can cover in 60 seconds? Um, gosh, I, I don't think so. I, I think I'll say I covered it. You guys were handsome. <laughs> it is, this is awesome. Yeah. Uh, we should call out your blog, Andy. Sure. Oh, sure. Um, I, I, I do a lot of my primary blogging now at sqlblog.com, sqlblog.com. Um, Good friends Adam uh, Macknick and um, Peter DeBetta run that site. Uh, database gurus in their own right. And I've got uh, some blogs over at, I actually have four blogs now over at Visual Studio Team System Central.com. And um, my claim to fame there is I've got instructions, visual instructions, lots of screenshots on how to build your own virtual uh, PC or virtual server that contains, using just the uh, free stuff available for Microsoft to trial editions and uh, to build a Team Foundation server, uh, 2005. I, I'm working on the 2008 version now. I haven't completed it, but it should be up soon. And uh, build your own virtual server, and then you can play with it. Um, Microsoft has started releasing VHD images with these on it, and I've confirmed with um, the Team Foundation server, uh, my, my contact on that team, that they intend to do that throughout the life cycle of uh, 2008. They will have a trial edition available, VHD, that will expire in two two or three months after you download it. Which is great, because that means you can just drop it in. You don't have to waste all that time doing configuring. Just take it out for a spin. See what you think. Yep, but I've gotten a lot of hits from people who are actually installing production uh, TFS 2005. And, um, you know, it's a a little funny story, and I don't want to go over it, but the, when I was named an MVP, I, I announced it on my blog, and I got all of this email from the Team Foundation uh, community. They said, well, we need another TFS MVP. And I said, um, I'm a SQL Server MVP. <laughs> and they said, well, everybody's going to your site to get the instructions on, on Team Foundation Server. So I was, I was very flattered by that. I, I really ignored the site for about a year. Huh. <laughs> I went and looked at my stats and went, oh, my goodness, and I immediately went to AdWords. <laughs> 
You must have got some Google love there. Yeah, must yeah. have. Yeah. But you obviously hit on a pain point that matters to people. Well, and it was just dumb luck. Um, I just, uh, I enjoyed the product and I wrote about it in the SSIS book, even, uh, TFS there. That's where I got hooked. It was coming out, uh, if you remember, they, they were all coming out together there and then TFS got delayed about, yeah. I think I got delayed about four months in, in the end, but it was worth it. It's a, it's a fantastic product. Oh, yeah, it was well worth the wait. Well, Andy, yep. we've come to the end of the show. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate this. This was a big honor for me. Well, and we learned a lot, too, so thank you. Cool. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklin's.com. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a